Greetings and welcome to the pod. My name is Mark West. Scott Bortelli is an acclaimed wildlife and underwater photographer and has swum with whales and other magnificent creatures of the deep in some of the world's most exotic locations, like Antarctica, Tonga, the Falkland Islands and Norway. Among other awards, Scott was awarded Wildlife Photographer of the Year in 2016, and he runs tours that you can join up with around the world to swim with whales. I started my chat with Scott by asking him what came first, being a photographer or a diver? Yeah, I think, look, I think I was a diver first, um, and then... Um, just going to all these destinations meant that, you know, I was putting myself in interesting environments. So it made sense that I start photographing and documenting them. Um, so yeah, when I, when I managed to start doing this sort of stuff and traveling a lot, uh, it was, it was one of those things that, you know, I've found that you could swim with whales in South Pacific and it sounded like a great idea. And then, you know, 18 years later, that's how long I've been doing it now. And you've expanded a bit beyond the South Pacific. You've swum with whales in like everywhere from Antarctica to like the Northern Hemisphere, haven't you? Yeah, yeah. So I, I, because the the basis of my photography these days is sort of tour operations, so I'm taking people to um, experience wildlife encounters in different parts of the world. So, and predominantly it's underwater related things, uh, but I do do a lot of land-based wildlife as well. So places like Antarctica, I do a bit of both. I take people scuba diving in Antarctica. We're generally trying to get in the water with leopard seals and penguins and the occasional whale. Uh, then up in Norway, uh, we do the orcas. So take people snorkeling with the orcas up in the Norway, in the fjords up there, which is quite amazing, very spectacular, beautiful place. And the orcas up there feeding um, during the winter months. So you get the bonus of having orcas in the water and seeing the northern lights. Um, so it's quite beautiful. And I take people, you know, to different parts of the world uh, for, you know, whale sperm whales as well. Uh, but the primary the primary trips I run and the experiences I uh, do are the humpback whales in Tonga. And what what's it like swimming with such creatures? I mean, orcas are... I mean, they eat sharks, right? They're pretty dangerous. <laughs> well, What's it like? Not, not necessarily. So orcas, for example, there's, there's lots of different types of orcas. There's you know, orcas that eat mammals. There's orcas that just eat fish. Uh, the ones up in Norway are fish-eating orcas, so they, you know, they don't eat um, you know, mammals like seals and things like that. And, um, you know, so you know, there's different behaviours from different animals. Um, but you know, swimming with whales, like e- each species has different behaviours, so it's, it's quite a unique experience. Like when you're in the water with the humpbacks, they're quite curious, charismatic. Um, they they like to interact uh, with the orcas. You know, they're they're quite a you know, dominant apex predator. Um, so they're a species up there that are hunting for food and um, in in that area. Um, and then, you know, sperm whales are quite shy whales. You'll get in the water and, you know, you'll be 200 metres away and they'll spot you and then they'll dive to the depths for about 45 minutes to an hour. So, you know, each species is quite different with quite different behaviour. But um, but none of them none of them are threatening, like as in, you know, nothing to fear in the, in the ocean in terms of whales. They're, they're pretty intelligent creatures. So spending time with them um, is quite a privilege. And what are the um, whales that you'll see off 
Sydney at the moment. I guess they're the ones heading to Tonga. What what species of whales are they? Uh, yeah, so we've got we've got humpbacks that come up the east coast and west coast of Australia, and they're migrating up to the more tropical waters. So the ones that come up the east coast of Australia, passing Sydney at the moment, uh, they're heading up to the, the Great Barrier Reef and up to that area in the tropics. So they're not necessarily the ones going up to Tonga. The ones going up to Tonga are usually the ones that go past New Zealand um, okay. or maybe just further further into the South Pacific. So there's different groups of humpbacks like that um, come up as groups. So you've got the groups that come up the east coast of Australia, the ones that go to New Zealand, the ones that go to Tahiti, and so on and so on and so forth. So, yeah, so the ones we're seeing are humpbacks, um, and generally they're the, they're the ones you see coming close to the shoreline and um, you'll see most often. Do you ever see the same ones that you're aware of? Like, are there are there distinctive uh, patterns? Yeah, there is distinctive ways to identify them, and we we have this program, a research program that I set up about four or five years ago in Tonga, where we take pictures of their tails, the underside of their tail, and it's like a fingerprint. So it's a good way to identify if a whale, um, if we've seen a whale before, if it's been spotted somewhere else, and we work with a few different organisations that actually do the identification as well. So if they see one down in Antarctica that we spotted in Tonga, um, then we get a notification saying, oh, we saw your whale because you, you put a tail shot here and we've got a tail shot. So it's, it's quite fascinating when you do get um, data back from different organisations that are seeing the whales not only in you know, Tonga where we might see the same whale on, over a number of consecutive years, but also in other regions where they migrate to, so migrating south to Antarctica and north to the tropics. And does it work the same in the northern hemisphere with the orcas? Do they follow the warm water like that as well? The orcas, like I said, there's different sorts of species. There's resident orcas, there's transient orcas, uh, there's orcas that are hunting mammals, there are orcas that are hunting fish. So they not are not necessarily doing an annual migration, um, uh, some of them might be staying in an area because there is food source there. Others might be migrating to an area because they know, for example, like the the fish and the salmon and the herring up in the northern hemisphere, like in Norway and further north. The orcas know that at a certain time of year there's a mass congregation of these fish, school fish, and they'll go hunting there. So, yeah, orcas are different in terms of their behaviour and their migratory patterns than uh, humpbacks. There's a really cool story I read. Lynn Cox is an amazing ocean swimmer. She swam in Antarctica and all sorts of places. And one day she was swimming off the coast and ended up swimming with a baby whale who seemed to have been isolated from its mother. And she didn't want to go back into shore because she thought the baby whale might follow her and beach her. And so she was out there for ages um, until the mother finally came after some communication and the mum came and checked her out. And uh, she felt this sort of connection with the whales, like there was some form of understanding. Do you feel something like that? I mean, you must, you see them all the time now. Do you, do you still feel that same yeah. magic? Yeah, look, there's there's definitely um, situations where the connection's stronger and there's sort of a mutual sort of understanding or a mutual interaction um, or like even just a, a, a mutual respect um, that you do feel with many of the whales. They, they all have different personalities too. And, you know, some are nonchalant and couldn't care that, that you're there or not. Others are a bit more curious. Some are cautious. Some are just not even interested and will move away from you. 
Um, and yeah, look, the babies are very curious to start with. And the older the baby, the bolder it gets. And that's also, you know, with the mothers, if the mothers are older and they've had a few babies, they usually feel less threatened. So often, you know, they'll shut their eyes and hover and sleep at 10 metres and let the baby go up and down and play with the humans. So, you know, the experience is different each time. And there are definitely connections that people make uh, with, you know, other mammals, especially intelligent mammals. Um, I think the one issue we do have as, you know, people who don't really understand, you know, the, the intricacies of, you know, communication and intelligence of creatures like this is we um, anaphomorphize, you know, animals. You know, we, we give mm. them traits, human traits, thinking, oh, yeah, that's, they must be feeling happy or sad or, you know, they must like me and all this sort of stuff. So you've got to be conscious not to be, you know, doing that because, you know, we don't know how they communicate on, on what level or, you know, what their sense of us is. Um, so, you know, it's nice that people do have a connection because it gives them a connection with the ocean and, you know, they might feel that that's exactly what the whale was doing for them. Um, you know, but at the same time, you know, they're wild animals. We don't know too much about them. Um, so, you know, it's, it's one of those things that like I take every experience the way it is and, you know, for what it means at the time to me, uh, but, you know, to, to sort of portray that to someone else and say, you know, this is what the whale was doing or this is how the whale felt with my presence or vice versa is, you know, something I try not to yeah, <laughs> speculate. Yeah. If And what what should you do then if you actually end up swimming with a whale? Like, I, I don't even know if this is really possible, but if you're off the coast somewhere and you've gone for a swim and you're swimming with whales or big creatures like that, what what should you do? Are there any kind of rules of thumb? Yeah, look, it's it's different. Like, you know, obviously there's, you know, local laws in many countries about what you can and can't do with cetaceans in the water. And, you know, sometimes they're very opportunistic. You know, you might be swimming along and a whale might come up. You know, they are curious, intelligent creatures. And you're a different creature in the water. Like, you've got to think these animals travel thousands of kilometres each year, you know, back and forth. They they see so many things. They see they a lot see of stuff, sharks yeah. and dolphins and whales and fish. You know, they're seeing all these, you know, uh, other creatures in their environment so they're you know they're not you know they're not um they're not unsure that you know yeah there are other creatures around they even see boats and things like that so you know they are familiar with all these things that are in our sort of world and you know you're basically in the water you're a slow moving creature and you know of course they're going to be curious and go well you know all the fish and the dolphins they swim fast and they do this and that but you know these slow moving creatures that really can't hold their breath long and don't move too fast, you know, yep, what yep. are they? So, you know, in terms of what you do, like, you know, with most cetaceans, you know, the, the encounters aren't aggressive, you know, they're, they're you know, a matter of curiosity. Um, so, you know, staying still, enjoying the moment, um, you know, watching what the behaviour is and just, you know, being cautious is probably, you know, what you would do as an individual in the water. Um it's not likely that those situations will happen that often, you know, but, you know, for someone to experience that, it's probably, you know, it could be life-changing for them. It could, mm. you know, bring them, you know, into a reality that is like, yeah, we need to protect our oceans from everything, pollution and, um, you know, various uh, plights that you know, yeah. they face. So, you know, these animals live in an ocean and this ocean, you know, is, you know, not, infinite in its resources so you know we do need to be conscious of that
in your 18 years doing this, have you noticed any big changes? I mean, whale migration patterns probably haven't changed that much, but have you noticed more plastic pollution, for instance, or or anything like that? Has anything really changed over the last 20 odd years? Yeah, I'd say I'd say in terms of what I see, um, it's it's not a huge dramatic change because we're seeing the whales in one environment, so we're not seeing them where they're migrating. We're not seeing them where they're down their feeding grounds. You know, look, plastic pollution is probably the biggest problem for the ocean, the planet. Um, and, you know, these animals ingest, um, they can ingest, you know, plastics and microplastics and things that break down into smaller things. So, you know, they're, you know, they're at a certain level in the food chain, you know, they're eating krill and the krill's eating certain things and the fish are eating the krill. You know, there's a There's a chain of events that, you know, pollution will affect. And, you know, you see it a lot in many sort of whales that have, uh, you know, washed up on shore and been given uh, like an autopsy. And, you know, there are toxic chemicals and plastics in their system. So it's it's one of those things that like I might not have seen it personally, but it's becoming more, um, there's more awareness for it. Because yeah, yeah. people are realizing that, you know, this is, you know, how plastic affects most of the animals in the ocean. You know, turtles, for example, are, you know, they see plastics like a jellyfish and jellyfish are, you know, one of their food sources. So when they eat a plastic bag or something like that and it gets in their, you know, intestines and, you know, they they die. Like, you know, they can't get rid of these things out of their system. So, yeah. you know, it's it's one of those things. Like, you know, the world is creating, you know, pollutions, you know, and people are more aware of it, at least these days, not so much you know government's doing anything about it but yeah. you know at least people are more people are more aware and people are conscious that you know as an individual yes they can make a change but you know it's it's not an easy process and you know it's you know we indirectly always impact on you know these animals that can't do anything for themselves um, i was just having a look at your amazing photos scottportelli.com anyone can to browse through them and they're phenomenal photos but uh, what does it what does it sound like to swim with whales? Is it uh, is it quiet? <laughs> is it noisy? Yeah, look, it, it's it's quite interesting because you know there are whales do vocalise a lot and they they communicate with sound. So you know when you're around them, there could be many things happening. I've been in the water with uh, singers, and the, and the males are the only ones that sing. So they sing okay. a particular song each year, um, and that sound you can be floating over the top of a whale that's 15 meters down and that sound is vibrating through your body like the base of a stereo and you know, th that sound can also be heard from 40 kilometers away wow. so you know these these you know acoustic animals are communicating through sound and you often hear it with the mothers and calves as well the mother will be making squeaks and clicks you know to sort of communicate with the baby to sort of say hey don't go too far on here yeah <laughs> um so yeah, and but you know, and sometimes it's silent. Sometimes you know they're just floating, maybe just resting, or maybe just interacting, but not you know on a social you know, um, communicating level. So, but you know, when you do hear the sounds of whales underwater, it's a pretty amazing experience. And you know, when you feel the sound going through your body, it's even more you know prominent that you know these creatures are massive, beautiful creatures that you know. Uh, emanating this amazing sound it's quite it's quite haunting 
And you've you've been down to Baffin Island or up, sorry, to Baffin Island in the Arctic up. and also Antarctica as well. That's you've so where haven't you been? I mean, <laughs> what's what's it, what's it like at the at the ends of the earth? Yeah, look, I, I love the polar regions. They're they're just spectacular. Like you know, you've got these massive, beautiful, icy landscapes and you know, top, topography and environments that are just so you know unique and so alien. Um, and you've got some of the coolest creatures. You go north and you you've got polar bears and walruses and you know, Arctic foxes and various other creatures. And you go south and you've got, you know, penguins and whales and seals and things like that. It's it's just these environments, these harsh, you know, unforgiving environments and you've got life thriving like crazy. It's it's just spectacular ends of the, the earth. Like, you know, it's it's one of my favorite areas to, to visit. Like, you know, obviously I have visited a lot of places over the years. Um, and not all of them. I've still got many, many places to visit. Uh, but, you know, the polar regions, I keep being drawn back to the polar regions. And, you know, a lot of my, my tours these days are either in Antarctica or in the Arctic um, regions, like Arctic or Norway. So how do you get there? I mean, to get to Antarctica, you go through Argentina? Yeah, so you can go you can go to South America and there's a few options. But basically, you're going from the bottom of South America, usually Argentina, you're on a ship for you know two two and a half days um, down to the peninsula, and then you spend time in the peninsula, um, you know, looking at the wildlife, the animals, the landscape, and you know, just experiencing Antarctica, um, and then you travel back by ship. So you know it's ship based. Um, the good thing about expedition ships is they're usually a lot smaller than a cruise ship, and the thing about cruise ships is because they have so many passengers, they're not actually allowed to land in Antarctica. So there are a lot of restrictions to keep the environment pristine. So you have to be on a ship that has less than 200 passengers to be able to, to you know, get out on land and go on excursions in Antarctica. So it's a pretty special place, pretty, pretty um, restricted and protected, you know, by you know, uh, quite a uh, interesting organisation that you know just makes sure that all tour operators down there abide by the same sort of rules. So. It's yeah, it's a great experience. And in and in up north, you you go from Reykjavik in Iceland, and you end up in Canada, how, and you sea kayak. I mean, this is yeah, this so, is adventure <laughs> holiday sort of yeah, stuff. Yeah, well, so you, yeah, that's right, exactly. It, it is for the more adventurous people. So you, you know, you can go up north or south, and you know, you can kayak. Sometimes we take scuba divers in you know down to Antarctica, and you know, scuba diving in places in the Arctic. Uh, in places like Norway, obviously you've got orcas, and you're in you know these icy fjords. Um, so you know these are spectacular places, and they're designed, you know, they're basically places you know designed for adventurers, like people who want to trek, you know, mountains or kayak fjords or you know um, look for you know wildlife. Yeah, and you swim. How much? How thick is your wetsuit in these <laughs> in these places? <laughs> well. I use a dry suit when I'm in the polar region. So basically it's a, a suit that keeps everything, you know, dry underneath. So you have layers of clothing, like a thermal layer, then a fleece or a um, a down sort of layer. And then you have your dry suit over the top. So, and that, that's, you know, keeps you warm. It's the insulation of the air between your body and the suit that keeps you warm in these places. But, you know, they, you know, you're in minus one degree water and, you know, cold is cold. Like eventually, you will get cold, yeah. <laughs> even in a dry suit. 
but you know it's not many like there's not many people on the planet they can say they've been in the water in antarctica you know with you know leopard seals and whales and penguins so it's you know it's one of those things that like when i do take people it's it's amazing to see people's faces once they get in you know this environment and put themselves out there to sort of get in the water and experience antarctica or the polar regions you know by getting into them do you ever just get in in your speedos for two seconds and then get out <laughs> well a few people do the polar plunge yeah um, and that's usually a few they'll jump off the ship you know get into the ice cold water and be out two seconds later <laughs> um I, I try to avoid that. I, I like the comfort of my warm, dry suit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and is there any way, where on earth do you want to go? Where haven't you been? Like, what, what's the, the dream oh, so place, if, it's, if you haven't already done yeah, it? Yeah, look, there's so many places, and including, you know, my own back door like, and country, you know. I, like, next year, I plan to go around Australia for a whole year, and we're going to document that um, over a period of, of, you know, 360 days, um, going around Australia, seeing some amazing places, seeing wildlife, cultural events, everything. So, you know, there's lots of places I haven't seen. Um, more places in the polar regions. I'd like, you know, like to spend more time in Iceland, Greenland, um, you know, northern Canada, uh, like North America. There's some interesting uh, places Russia. I'd definitely like to get to Russia and do some ice diving or some, you know, wildlife watching. Like, yeah. you know, it's pretty spectacular there. So yeah, the the list goes on, and the more you travel, meet people who are like minded, the more your list gets bigger and bigger. Wow, going around Australia for you would be amazing. And so you're driving and then just stopping where you want yeah, to. Yeah, so I'm, yeah. So basically, I'm driving around Australia in a four wheel drive. I'm trailing a boat uh, behind me, and we're gonna. You know, dive. We're gonna, you know, do everything on land. We're gonna get in the air and take aerial photos. Basically, it's it's to document Australia from you know below the waves, on the surface, and above. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's you know it is um, going to be set up like a proper uh, 360 degree social media uh, campaign event, like a marketing event. So you'll be able to follow our trails around Australia for a uh, year. Okay. Um, cool. Lots, lots of, lots of, you know, video blogs and, you know, social media and, you know, just adventures that, yeah, you know, and and even competitions so people can join us on a leg of the tour. So, that that to me is going to be pretty spectacular. Just being able to see Australia, you know, the way I want to see it. That'll be fun. You can have a GPS track so we can see where you are. Yeah, GPS tracking, maps, Google Maps, everything. So you'll be able to follow us. You'll be able to even say, hey, you should go here and we'll go there. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Uh, so that's amazing. And so that's next year. What What's the rest of this year uh, bring? Yeah, so this year, um, a lot of the time my schedule is fully booked and I, I spend probably nine months a year away from home. So, you know, coming up, I've got the Lord Howe Island photographic shootout event, uh, followed by I do a workshop down in South Australia, to the cuttlefish and the leafy sea dragons, so I take a small group to do that. Uh, then the Tonga season starts, which is mid-July to mid-October, and then I hit uh, the end of the year and it comes back to my Antarctic season. So I, I do two or three trips down in Antarctica um, and then a trip to the Falklands. So by December, the end of December this year, um, my schedule is completely booked. 
Yeah, and then you get a year. Well, it's not going to be a year off, really, is it? It's just going to be a year doing something else. No, a year doing something else. But it should be amazing. Like you know, like I said, like, like I, I'm excited about seeing my own country properly. Yeah. Oh, that sounds amazing. I will definitely be following you uh, in the various uh, social media uh, places. So, if we want to know all about you, where where should people go? Yeah. Look. Um... You can follow me on Instagram, which is, you know, always an interesting way to see my adventures as well as see some of the beautiful things that I see. So that's scott.portelli on Instagram. If you if you are keen to follow the the 360 um, trip around Australia, that's going to be called 360and360.com. So you can follow us on the website or on Instagram, 360and360. probably got to ask about sharks and people who have a fear of sharks swimming you clearly don't have such a fear um, have you ever dived with sharks or had any hairy experiences and I, I spend a lot of time with sharks I, like i love sharks they're just they're they're interesting creatures and you know all sharks once again they behave differently so everyone always puts them in the one bag of sharks you know if you thought about it really they're just a big gray fish you know they're just another fish in the ocean um you know, and, you know, the reality is it's an irrational fear created by media and, you know, movies and things like that. Because the reality is, you know, last year alone, there were only, I think the number was five fatalities in um, Australia from sharks, something low like that. If you think about it, you know, millions and millions of people get in the water each summer, each day. And, you know, there's only been five shark attacks Um you know, it's it's a pretty low chance that, you know, sharks are actually ever going <laughs> to get you. And they're not lurking around and stuff. It's usually, you know, mistaken identity or people in the water at the wrong time of day, you know, dusk and dawn when they're actually starting to, you know, feed and hunt. Uh, so, you know, look, sharks are amazing creatures. We need them for the ecosystem. If they don't control the ecosystem, then other species take over. Um, and, you know, then that, you know, can ruin the environment. Um you know, the underwater environment. You know, the the other big issue is, you know, sharks are being you know, killed in the millions, like, you know, in Asia for fins and for soup and things like that. And the bodies and the, you know, the bycatch is thrown back into the ocean and not even used. So people, people are wasting, there's so much wastage, you know, for people who are, you know, hunting and killing sharks. Um, and yeah, like I said, you need these predators in the environment or, or they're not, you know, going to be able to control, you know, the ecosystem. So I think, yeah, sharks, sharks are amazing. If you're scared of sharks, the best way to do is get in the water with someone that show you a shark and then you'll never be scared of one again. <laughs> That's good advice. And they're very rarely spotted <laughs> around um, off the coast here, really. They're, they're not, they're not really hanging out at the beaches, are they? Jaws has a well, lot to answer for. Yeah. Well, the thing is, everyone associates it, you know, when they see, you know, think of sharks or you know, see a picture in the media. The media always show you a big, great white with its teeth open. The likelihood, like, you know, there's so many shark species around Australia that you wouldn't even notice. You're swimming next to them, you know, and they're, you know, they're harmless. Like, you know, they're small, tiny, you know, dusky whalers that you swim with, you know, at Manly Beach this time of year. And everyone loves to, you know, swim and look at the sharks. And, 
then there's, you know, wobbyguns. There's all these sharks that are just bottom feeders and feed on little crustaceans. So you never see them on the surface. So there's so many sharks around that you would not even notice or you'd probably think it was just another fish. And yet, you know, people, you know, have this fear of them because they think, you know, it's going to be this big shark lurking around. Yeah, those sort of sharks are yeah, deep sea sharks anyway. So the chances of you actually spotting one are very, very rare. But, you know... Like I said, you know, all the sharks are different, just people put them into one bag. Thanks very much for joining us for this episode of The Pod. Thanks very much to Scott Portelli for taking the time to chat to us about all his various underwater adventures. And if you'd like to find out any more information about anything you've heard today, perhaps you want to follow Scott in his new adventures or join up with him on a tour around the world, get over to the website at www.thepodpodcast.net. That's www.thepodpodcast.net. Thanks again. My name's Mark West. I'll catch you next time on The Pod.